As uh, some of you know, Ava is, is getting ready to start her fourth year of soccer. And it's been a lot of fun getting to go to practice and, and to the games and watch how the girls improve from game to game and from year to year. And Ava and her teammates, they're at the point now when they're really beginning to understand the importance of playing different positions and taking on different roles on the field. At one time, they all wanted to assume the same role of taking the ball down the field to score, which leaves them pretty vulnerable, right? So they've learned the importance of of staying back and guarding the goal and playing a variety of positions on the field. And they know that that's key now to be successful, to win the game. They've learned that the roles they play on the field, though different, are all important. And this is not just true in sports, am I right? But in every aspect of life. Knowing and understanding and fulfilling your role is important in school, in the workplace, in the church, and most importantly, in the home. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians 5. We're continuing our series through Ephesians, entitled Walking Worthy. And for the next three weeks, we are going to discuss the importance of of walking worthy in our different roles in life and in relationships. Today we're going to be looking at verses 22 through 33 and we're going to be talking about the marriage relationship. We're going to be talking about the importance of walking worthy as husband and wife. And let me tell you, this passage of scripture we're going to look at this morning along with others like it in the New Testament have stirred up as much controversy as any in the Bible. The distinctions between men and women in the marriage relationship, though clearly stated in the scriptures, has come under attack in our world today. For example, along with speaking out against certain abuses against women in society, many have argued that the church... And some of the teachings in the scriptures have also contributed to these abuses against and to the discrimination of women. Many have used passages like the one we're going to look at this morning, as well as others, to paint the Apostle Paul as a male chauvinist and to label the Christian faith as being misogynistic. Listen, I want you to hear me when I say this. Nothing could be further from the truth. I believe with all my heart that these kind of assaults made against the church and made against the Christian faith are unsupported, unjustified, and just simply downright unfair. Doesn't take much digging to see that women play a vital role in God's story. We learn of the importance of women early on in the scriptures. For example, though she played a key role in man's initial rebellion, Eve also 
plays a vital role in God's story. She is the mother of all living. And we're told in Genesis 3.15 that through her comes Christ. You also have big names like Ruth, the great-grandmother of King David, also in the line of Christ. You have Esther, who used her influence given to her by God to speak up for God's people so that they could be spared from annihilation. I mean, that's just to name a few, right? Not to mention the wives of the patriarchs. Sarah, the wife of Abraham, the mother of Isaac. And Rebecca, the, the, the mother of Jacob. And Leah, the mother of Judah. In the line of Jesus and Rachel, the mother of of Joseph, who was used by God to save God's people from famine. And, And you also have Deborah, who was a key figure in the book of Judges. And remember Rahab. She plays a key role in Israel's entrance into the promised land. And women also play a key role in the New Testament, do they not? You have Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary Magdalene, who was with Christ and followed Christ throughout his earthly ministry, was there at his crucifixion and became one of the first witnesses of his resurrection. Women also played a key role in the early church. An early convert was was Mary, the mother of John Mark, who gave her house as a meeting place for the Christians in Jerusalem. There was also Lydia, who lived in Philippi, who also opened up her home in the same way. In Romans 16, written by the Apostle Paul, by the way, we learn of other women who were actively involved in ministry. Paul writes about Phoebe, and he says of her that she is a servant of the church and a patron or servant of Paul himself and and of others. We read about Priscilla, the godly wife of Aquila, whom Paul referred to as a fellow worker in Christ Jesus. We learn that she, along with her husband, were used by God in a mighty way to instruct the spiritual giant Apollos in the knowledge of the Lord. Notice, by the way, like I said, Paul wrote this, right? In Romans. Isn't that interesting? I mean, Paul went out of his way to praise and affirm these women. He also says in 1 Corinthians eleven seven 7 that the woman is man's glory. And in Galatians three twenty eight he says, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul's not saying here that, that we're to be gender neutral, right? And that there are not different roles between men and women. But he's making the point that men and women are one in a spiritual sense. He's saying there is spiritual equality among men and women. That's from the mouth of Paul. Sure doesn't sound like a male chauvinist to me, does he to you? And the scriptures sound anything but misogynistic. Truth is, get this, Christianity has said more and has done more to affirm the equality of women spiritually and personally and in ability than than any other system of belief. Scripture is clear. Men and women are equal in person. 
They are equal in terms of their essence, in terms of their personality, in terms of their thinking, in terms of their ability. It is simply their responsibilities, their roles that are different. I've heard it said in this way. Men and women are equal in person, but different in responsibility. That's right. Scripture affirms that. Scripture is clear that there are are two major roles, two major responsibilities between men and women in the marriage relationship that distinguish the two. One is headship given to the husband, and the other is the position of submission given to the wife. Some of you hear that and you say, okay, here it comes. I knew Graham was going to go here. I knew he's going to tell us that the Bible teaches that men are better than women and that the two are not equal and that the husband is the boss and the wife is to just cower before her husband and do whatever he commands. Listen, if you hear me say that, you're not hearing me, okay? When God talks about authority and submission in his word, get this, it has nothing to do with equality and inequality. You know that to be true, right? How many of y'all have ever worked for a boss? Or how many of you still do? How many of you are a boss now? Yeah. Does that boss have authority over you? Or did he have? Sure. But does that boss in any way have more worth or value than you do as a person? Absolutely not. Parents, do you have authority over your kids? Some of you are like, not really. Well, you should. So come next week and bring your kids, okay? I'm going to do you a favor, all right? Preach to your kids a little bit. But you should. But just because you have authority over them, is your life any more precious to God than theirs is? Of course not. The difference between you and them is the roles that each of you has. And the same is true for husbands and for wives. Scripture clearly teaches this. That husbands and wives, though equal in person, are different in responsibility. And it's so very important that we as believers know this and affirm this. Scripture is clear on this, okay? In our text for this morning, Paul is going to discuss the importance of husbands and wives knowing and embracing these distinct Roles, But before we get into it, there are two things I want you to keep in mind. Number one, remember, I'm just the mailman, right? You know, I like to remind you that on occasion. I don't write the messages, I just deliver the mail, all right? So if you have an issue, you got to take it up with Paul sometime on the other side of eternity, okay? I don't write the messages, just deliver the mail. For the most part, I just preach what's next in the text. That's why I love preaching expository through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, because you're forced to just preach what's next in the text. And today is what is next in the text. So we're forced to deal with it. And I love doing it in that way. Secondly, I want you to hear Paul out. Don't tune out or cut out before I'm finished, but seek to understand the points that Paul is making here. And more importantly, the points that God is making through Paul. Because I truly believe, if you stay with me this morning, many of you are going to learn something on this particular issue that you did not know before coming in today. And it will benefit you in your marriage relationship, okay? All right, so let's get into it. Ephesians 5. 
If you remember from last week, at the end of the previous passage, Paul is talking about living the Spirit-filled life. And what results from living the Spirit-filled life is, is this. He says that those filled with the Holy Spirit, they speak the Word of God to each other, they sing praises to the Lord, and they give thanks to God for everything. And then he says in verse 21 that a Spirit-filled person, Spirit-filled people, honor the different roles given to them by God. So submission is a fruit of the Spirit. That verse comes at the very end of that passage. He's talking about living the spirit-filled life. He says, spirit-filled people submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. He says, spirit-filled people know what their roles are in society and in relationships, and they honor these roles. He says, they know who is in authority over them, and they submit to those in authority out of reverence for Christ. And in the following verses... Paul goes on to give three examples where authority is seen and where submission is to occur. The first is in the marriage relationship. Husbands and wives, Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. The second is in the parental relationship between parents and children in Ephesians 6, chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. And third, it's seen in the work relationship between masters and slaves, Ephesians 6, 5 through 9. And if you want to know what I have to say about that, you'll have to come in a few weeks, okay? We're going to preach through that. And again, for today... We're going to just look at the marriage relationship. And we're going to start with the wives because that's where Paul begins. And here's what Paul says. He says this, wives, submit to your husbands. Look at Ephesians 5.22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Stop there for a minute. Notice in verse 21 and in verse 22, Paul brings up submission. And when he brings up submission, he mentions Christ. He says in verse 21, submit out of reverence for Christ. And here he says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So notice here, right off the bat, though submission is a bad word in our society, it is a godly word in Scripture. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's to be done by those who are devoted to Christ. Paul says, spirit-filled people are submissive people. They're not stubborn. They're not proud. They're not self-willed. They do not live by their own agendas, but they are humble and selfless. And Scripture is clear. That's how we're to live, believers. That's how we're to be. Though God has given us authority, He has also placed us under authority. And we are to submit to those in authority over us. And we see this all throughout the scripture, right? We talked last week, we see it in God himself. Do you know that? We see authority and submission in the Godhead, in the Trinity. The Son is sent by the Father, and he's guided by the Spirit during his earthly ministry. And we're all, we also see that after Christ accomplishes our salvation... The Spirit of God comes, and He directs people toward Christ. And He applies the finished work of Christ to those trusting in Him for salvation. And we also see that the Father exalts the Son to the highest position in existence and gives Him the name that is above all names. Submission is a divine quality. 
Isn't that amazing? We learn that submission is what we're called to do as well. Guys, we're told in 1 Corinthians eleven three. 3, he says, I want you to understand, Paul says this, the head of every man is Christ. Christ is our head. And then he goes on to say, the head of the wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. We're also going to learn, kids, next week, that you're to submit to the authority of your parents. We're also to be submissive to governing authorities, aren't we? We don't like that, but it's true. Romans 13, let every person be subject to governing authorities, clear as day. Why? Because they've been given to us by God, Paul says in Romans 13. Church, do you realize that Scripture also teaches that you are to submit to the authorities in the church? Not my words, God's words. The author of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, and in verse 17 says this, listen to it. He says in verse 7, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. So he's talking about Christian leaders here. And then listen to verse 17 of Hebrews 13. He says, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. He's saying that that Christians are to submit to those who have been placed in Christian leadership, who have to give an account before God. He says, follow them, obey them, submit to them. And notice he says, do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So submission... Though a bad word in society, it's a godly word in Scripture, isn't it? Being submissive is a characteristic that should be seen in each and every one of us. It is a characteristic of the God in which we serve. He is submissive in His relationship as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's to be a part of our relationships as well. Guys, we are to submit to Christ. Wives, to your husbands, as to the Lord. Children, to your parents. Citizens, to governing authorities. And Christians, to those in church leadership. Okay? Now let's bring it on back to Ephesians 5.22 where Paul says wives are to submit to their husbands. The word submit is a military term that means place yourself under the authority or rank of another and follow their leadership. And notice Paul includes the word own here which is the Greek word idios which some of you will laugh at that. Paul's not saying follow your idiot husband. That's not what that Greek word means, idios. It means one's own, okay? Wives are not just to to place themselves under the authority of any man, any husband, but their own husbands, okay? Heard a story recently. It was told by Bodie Bauckham. And, uh, you know, he's a pastor nearby, pretty well known, obviously. And uh, he he was talking about this boy that came in needing some advice. He says, I need you to talk to my girlfriend because she's not submitting to me. You need to tell her to submit. And he says, well, have you put a ring on her finger? He said, no. He said, then good for her. She must not submit to you, but to her father and mother until she leaves and cleaves to her husband and they become 
one flesh. So wives are to be submissive. They're to place themselves under their husband's authority and follow his leadership. And notice in the following verses, Paul goes on to give us the the manner and the motive and the model for submission. First, the manner. How are wives to submit? And what manner are they to submit? Paul tells us in verse 22, he says, wives are to do it as to the Lord. In Colossians 3.18, Paul says, wives submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. The word fitting here means it's the right thing to do. It's the appropriate thing to do. Again, submission is good. It's godly. This is the role that God has given for wives in the marriage relationship. So, so wives, when you do this, when you honor this role, you are honoring God. When you submit, you are not just doing so for the sake of your husband, but you're doing it to the glory of God. You are submitting to the Lord who calls for you to submit, and you are, you are honoring that role that he has given you when you submit to your husband. You're doing it to the Lord. So that's the manner. Verse 23, Paul also gives the motive for wives to submit. He says, verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife. He says, the husband is the head. Now, guys, this does not mean we're the brains of the operation, okay? And that's good news for some of us guys, right? Because a lot of our wives are a whole lot smarter than we are. But what Paul means when he says the husband is the head, it it means that the husband is meant to direct the course for the family, just like the head directs the body. And the body submits to the head, so the husband is to control and direct the family, and the family is to follow his leading. And if it works any other way, you know what happens? You know what happens when the arm's doing its own thing? Or the leg's not doing what the head wants it to? You have disability and malfunction. If, if the body does not follow the head, there's chaos. But when the body works as it should, when the head leads in the right way and the body follows, there is stability and peace and harmony. So that's the manner and that's the motive. The manner is wives are to submit to their husbands as to the Lord. The motive of a wife submitting to her husband is so that as the head, submitting to him as the head is so that there will be harmony and order and beauty in the relationship. And lastly, notice the model that Paul gives us. Middle of verse 23 and verse 24. He says, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in some things to their husbands. Is that what he says? No, in everything to their husbands. Wives, you want to know what submission looks like? Examine what is to be the relationship between Christ and the church. Think first about the leadership that Christ gives to the church. He gives the church loving leadership, loving direction, protection, safety, security, strength, 
and provision. And we as a church, we are to love him for all that he is and all that he provides for us. And we're to place ourselves under his leadership and we're to follow his guidance and direction and leadership in every way. And wives, you're to do the same with your husbands. Guys, we learned here, and we're going to learn in just a minute, that to provide this kind of leadership, we've got to look to these divine qualities shown in Christ, don't we? To know how we're to lead. So let's look at our role, guys. He said wives are to submit to their husbands. Here's what we're called to do, husbands. Love and serve your wives. Love and serve your wives. Look at verse 25. Paul says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, God gives us a very simple command here. He says, love your wives. Love your wives. That's the command. Now, is the husband the head? Yes. Is he the one in authority? Absolutely. Does this mean that the husband then can rule this relationship with an iron fist? Absolutely not. Paul doesn't say one thing about husbands ruling over, commanding, or ordering, or bossing around their wives. Paul doesn't say, husbands, command your wives, rule over your wives, dominate your wives. He says, husbands, love your wives. And guess what word is used here for love? Guess what Greek word? What do you think? Agape, exactly right. The most intense, most divine, most benevolent, most sacrificial, most humble kind of love. It's a love of the will. It's a choosing love. It's a determining love. It's a love that one shows no matter what, regardless. That's the kind of love that we're to show. This type of love is, there's several things here that we see here about this type of love. One, it's a sacrificial love. Look at verse 25 again. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, this is the kind of love we're to show toward our wives, the kind of love that Christ showed us. Paul says, spirit-filled husbands love their wives not for what she can do for him, but for what he can do for her. He says, guys, you're to, you're to give of your lives for your wife. You're to give of yourself to provide for her and shelter her and care for her. You are to invest in her. You are to love her as Christ has loved you. You're to give of yourself as Christ has given of himself for you. Paul says you're to love with a sacrificial love. You're also to love with a purifying love. Look at verses 26 and 27. This is key right here, guys. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. The reason Christ gave himself up for his bride, for his church, is to make her more holy 
to make her more godly. He did it to sanctify her so that she would be like him, so that she would be holy and without blemish. Guys, are you loving your wives in this way? In a way that makes your wife more like Christ. If not, you're failing to love in this way, the way Christ loved us. Now let me speak to a moment here for those of you unmarried folks in here. Dating. Girls, if you have a guy who says that he loves you and then tries to talk you into sinning with him sexually or otherwise, you need to get out of that relationship. You know why? He doesn't know what love is. Not scripturally. This love purifies. The love that we're called to have sanctifies Husbands, we're to love our wives in this way. We're to have this kind of love, the kind of love that sanctifies, that cleanses by the washing of water with the word. It's the kind of love that is directed and guided by God's word. It's a love that makes one more holy. Husbands, are you loving your wives in this way? Or or let me ask you this. Let me ask it in this way. Does your wife see Christ in the way in which you love her, and does it make her want to become more like him? That's what's being called for here. Are you washing her with water with the word? Are you shepherding her? Are you discipling your wife? Guys, Paul says we're to love in this way. It's to be a purifying love. We're also to love with a caring love. Look at verse 28. Through 30. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. The illustration Paul gives here is very, very clear, very simple. Because you and your wife are one flesh, Guys, you're to love your wives as your own body. Paul says you care for your own body, don't you? When you're hungry, you feed it. When you're tired, you you go to sleep, right? Paul says you should love and care for your wives in this way because she's a part of you. You're one flesh. Bodie Bauckham also said this. He said, my wife is not just mine, she's me. That's what it means to be one flesh. Your wife is not just yours, she's you. You should care for her like you care for your own body. And again, Christ does this for the church, does he not? Because we're members of his body, Christ cares for us in this way, and he calls for us to do this for our wives. When our wives need us, guys, we need to be sensitive to that, and we need to provide them what they need. Sometimes they just need us to listen, to understand. Times they need a shoulder to cry on, a hand to hold, a person to pray with, someone who cares. Husbands, are you loving your wives in this way, with a caring love? We're also called to love with an unbreakable love, guys. Look at verse 31. Paul says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Paul here is quoting Genesis 2, 24. 
He's showing the believers of his day and us as greater Christian audience that oneness has always been the way. It's been the plan from the very beginning. This is the way it was meant to be from the jump, from the start. And today we have marriages that are anything but this. Today you have husbands and wives with separate bank accounts, separate possessions. I've known of of couples who split their food and the husband can't eat the wives, the wife can't eat the husband's food. True. There, There are couples living in separate rooms, couples with separate addresses. And this is a big one. Couples with separate allegiances. Some relationships, it's the husband and his family versus the wife and her family. Or in other situations, you got, you got the daughter with the dad on the dad's side. You got the son with the mom on the mom's side or vice versa. That's terrible. That's not the plan. God intended for man and woman to come together, become one. No more individual identity, oneness of mind, oneness of heart, oneness of purpose, oneness spiritually, oneness sexually. Guys, you're to strive for this in your marriage. You're to build this type of relationship with your wife. A type of relationship, a kind of relationship that's unbreakable because your wife is not just yours, she's you. Look at what Paul says in verse 32. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Paul's just saying here, what I'm telling you when I tell you to look to Christ and how he loves the church as example, as an example of how you are to love your wives, this is something that's being said for the first time, Paul says. I've not said this to you before. You've not heard this before. Paul's making something known here for the first time, and I'm glad he does, aren't you? Because Christ's love for the church, it gives us a wonderful picture, a great example of how we are to love our wives. And then notice verse 33 that Paul ends with a wonderful summary of this passage. He says in verse 33, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Pretty clear, isn't it? All of that, an encyclopedia worth of veritable advice in these 11 verses in Ephesians 5. Let me end with this. Like I've said in the past, many of the relationships in our world today, they look the exact opposite of this, don't they? It doesn't take very long for us to see that our relationships in our world today, they're they're in shambles. And one of the main reasons why is because we have either rejected or we have perverted these roles that God has given us from the beginning as men and women, as husband and wives. The roles we are to take on as husbands and wives, they've gotten so out of whack from the way that God intended them to be. We have men today who, though they're called to exercise authority in a loving, God-honoring way, they either abuse that authority or they refuse it altogether. And we have women who have rejected the role of submission, believing it to be archaic and demeaning, or they've even attempted to reverse these roles and and these abuses of these God-given roles in the marriage relationship have contributed to failed marriages and broken homes and broken people. What's the answer? How do we fix it? If you're a believer, the answer for you 
is to study the Word of God. Put down that secular magazine or book that you purchased that tells you what your role should be as a husband, what your wife's role should be, and how you work toward a healthy relationship, and pick up God's Word. See what God has to say about it. Then pray that God, by His grace, through the power of His Spirit, would help you see your relationship from a biblical perspective and ask him to redirect you and help you embrace your role, the proper role, the biblical role. And if you're here this morning and you're a non-believer wondering how to fix this issue, maybe you came here this morning, your marriage is in shambles and you're desperate for answers. My answer for you is this, you need Jesus. You need Jesus. For you to repair the broken relationships you have, you must first have your broken relationship with the Heavenly Father repaired and restored. And that's only possible through the person and work of His Son, the Lord Jesus. If you're here this morning, and this is you, if your relationship with your husband and wife is in shambles and you don't know where to turn, I invite you to first and foremost turn away from your sin. Turn toward the Savior. Turn your life over to Him. Trust in Him for your salvation. Seek first to be right with your Creator. That's a wonderful start. Then look to Him for guidance in your relationships. Let's pray.